listening to the most original talk radio station anywhere. We are L.A. Talk Radio at latalkradio.com. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. Sapphire Planet. The Manhattan Project was a research and development program led by the United States with the participation from the United Kingdom and Canada that produced the first atomic bomb during World War II. From 1942 to 1946, the project was under the direction of Major General Leslie Groves of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. The day after he took over the project, Groves took a train to Tennessee with Colonel Marshall to inspect the proposed site there and Groves was impressed. On September 29th, the United States, under Secretary of War Robert P. Patterson, authorized the Corps of Engineers to acquire 56,000 acres of land at a cost of 3.5 million. An additional 3,000 acres was also acquired. About 1,000 families were affected by the order, which came into effect on October 7th. Protests, legal appeals, and a 1943 congressional inquiry were to no avail. By mid-November, U.S. Marshals were tacking notices to vacate on farmhouse doors and construction contractors were moving in. Some families were given two weeks notice to vacate farms that had been in their homes for generations. Others had settled there after being evicted to make way for the Great Smoky Mountains National Park in the 1920s or the Norris Dam in the 1930s. 
the ultimate cost of land acquisition in the area, which was not completed until March 1945, was about $2.6 million, which worked out to around $47 an acre. When presented with public proclamation number two, which declared Oak Ridge a total exclusion area that no one could enter without military permission, the governor of Tennessee, Prentice Cooper, angrily tore it up. Initially known as the Kingston Demolition Range, the site was officially renamed the Clinton Engineer Works in the early 1943. To enable Stone and Webster to concentrate on the production facilities, a residential community for 13,000 people was designed and built by the architectural and engineering firm Skidmore, Ownings and Merrill. The community was located on the slopes of Black Oak Ridge from which the new town of Oak Ridge got its name. The Army presence at Oak Ridge increased in August 1943 when Nichols replaced Marshall as head of the Manhattan Engineer District. One of his first tasks was to move the district headquarters to Oak Ridge, although the name of the district did not change. It stayed Manhattan. In September 1943, the administration of community facilities was outsourced to Turner Construction Company through a subsidiary known as Roan Anson Company after Anderson and Roan counties in which Oak Ridge was located. The population of Oak Ridge soon expanded well beyond the initial plans and peaked at 75,000 people in May 1945, by which time 82,000 people were employed at the Clingen Engineer Works and 10,000 by Roan Anderson. The idea of locating Project Y at Oak Ridge was considered, but in the end it was decided that it should be in a remote location. On Oppenheimer's recommendation, the search for a suitable site was narrowed to the vicinity of Albuquerque, New Mexico, where Oppenheimer owned a ranch. In October 1942, Major John H. Dudley of the Manhattan Project was sent to survey the area. He re recommended a site near Yemez Springs, New Mexico. On November 16th, Oppenheimer, Groves, Dudley, and others toured the site. Oppenheimer feared that the high cliffs surrounding the site would make his people feel claustrophobic, while the engineers were concerned with the possibility of flooding. The party then moved on to the vicinity of the Los Alamos Ranch School, 
Oppenheimer was impressed and expressed a strong preference for the site, citing its natural beauty and views of the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, which it was hoped would inspire those who worked on the project. The engineers were concerned about the poor access road and whether the water would be adequate, but otherwise felt that it was ideal. Patterson approved the acquisition of the site on November 25, 1942, authorizing $440,000 for the purchase of the site of 54,000 acres, all but 8,900 acres of which were already owned by the federal government. Secretary of Agriculture Claude R. Wickard granted use of some 45,000 acres of United States Forest Service land to the War Department for so long as the military necessity continues. The need for the land for a new road and later for the right of way for a 25 mile power line eventually brought wartime land purchases to 45,737 acres, but only $414,971 was spent. Construction was contracted to the M.M. Sundit Company of Tucson, Arizona, with Willard C. Kruger and Associates of Santa Fe, New Mexico, as architect and engineer. Work commenced in December 1942. Groves initially allocated $300,000 for construction, three times Oppenheimer's estimate with a planned completion date of March 15, 1943. It soon became clear that the scope of Project Y at Los Alamos was greater than expected, and by the time Sundit finished on th November 30, 1943, over $7 million had been spent. Because it was a secret, Los Alamos was referred to as Site Y, or The Hill. Birth certificates of babies born in Los Alamos during the war listed their place of birth as P.O. Box 1663 in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Initially, Los Alamos was to have been a military laboratory, with Oppenheimer and other researchers commissioned into the Army. Oppenheimer went so far as to order himself a lieutenant colonel's uniform, but two key physicists, Robert Botcher and Isidore Riebe, balked at the idea. Conant, Groves, and Oppenheimer then devised a compromise 
where the laboratory was operated by the University of California under contract to the War Department. An Army OSRD Council on June 25, 1942 decided to build a pilot plant for plutonium production in the Argonne Forest southwest of Chicago. In July, Nicholas arranged for a lease of a thousand acres from Cook County, Illinois, and Captain James F. Grafton was appointed Chicago area engineer. It soon became apparent that the scale of operation was too great for the Argonne, and it was decided to build the plant at Oak Ridge. Delays in establishing Argonne led Compton to authorize construction of the first nuclear reactor beneath the bleachers of Stagg Field at the University of Chicago. On December 2nd, 1942, a team led by Enrico Fermi initiated the first artificial self-sustaining nuclear chain reaction in an experimental reactor known as Chicago Pile 1. The point of which a reaction becomes self-sustaining became known as going critical. Compton reported the success to Conant in Washington, D.C. by a coded phone call saying, the Italian navigator, referring to Fermi, had just landed in the New World. In January 1943, Grafton's successor, Major Arthur V. Peterson, ordered Chicago Pile 1 dismantled and reassembled at Argonne as he regarded, regarded the operation of the reactor as too hazardous for a densely populated area. By December 1942, there were concerns that even Oak Ridge was too close to a major population center, which would have been Knoxville, Tennessee. In the unlikely event of a major nuclear accident, Groves recruited DuPont in November of 1942 to be the prime contractor for the construction of plutonium production complex. The DuPont company was offered a standard cost plus fixed fee contract, but the president of the company, Walter S. Carpenter Jr., wanted no profit of any kind and asked for the proposed contract to be amended to explicitly exclude the company from acquiring any patent rights. This was accepted, but for legal reasons, a nominal fee of $1 was agreed upon. After the war, the DuPont company asked to be released from the contract early and had to return 33 cents. DuPont recommended that the site be located far from the existing uranium production facility at Oak Ridge. 
In December 1942, Groves dispatched Colonel Franklin Mathias and DuPont engineers to scout potential sites. Mathias reported that Hanford's site near Richland, Washington was ideal in virtually all respects. It was isolated and near the Columbia River, which could supply sufficient water to cool the reactors that would produce the plutonium. Groves visited the site in January and established the Hanford Engineer Works, codename Site W. Under Secretary Patterson, gave his approval on February 9th, allocating $5 million for acquisition of 40,000 acres of land in this area. The federal government relocated some 1,500 residents of White Bluffs and Hanford and nearby settlements, as well as the Wanapum and other tribes using the area. A dispute arose with farmers over compensation for crops, which had already been planted before the land was acquired. Where schedules were allowed, the army allowed the crops to be harvested, but this was not always possible. The land acquisition process dragged on and was not completed before the end of the Manhattan Project in December 1946. The dispute, however, did not delay work. Although progress on the reactor design at Metallurgical Laboratory and DuPont was not sufficiently advanced to accurately predict the scope of the project, a start was made in April of 1943 on facilities for an estimated 25,000 workers, half of whom were expected to live on site. By July 1944, some 1,200 buildings had been erected and nearly 51,000 people were living in the construction camp. As area engineer Matthias exercised overall control of the site. At its peak, the construction camp was the third most populous town in Washington state. Hanford operated a fleet of over 900 buses, more than the city of Chicago. Like Los Alamos and Oak Ridge, Richland was a gated community with restricted access, but it looked more like a typical wartime American boomtown. The military profile was lower and physical security elements like high fences, towers, and guard dogs were less evident. Komenico had produced electric light hydrogen at Trail, British Columbia since 1930. Yuri suggested in 1941 that it could produce heavy water. To the existing $10 million plant consisting of 3,215 cells 
consuming 75 megawatts of hydroelectric power, secondary electrolysis cells were added to increase the deridium concentration in the water from 2.3 to 99.8. For this process, Hugh Taylor of Princeton developed a platinum on carbon catalyst for the first three stages, while Yuri developed a nickel chromium one for the fourth stage tower. The final cost was 2.8 million. The Canadian government did not officially learn of the project until August 1942. Trail's heavy water production started in January 1944 and continued until 1956. Heavy water from Trail was used for the argon reactor, the first reactor using heavy water and natural uranium, which went critical May 15, 1944. The Chalk River, Ontario site was established to rehouse the Allied effort at the Montreal Laboratory at McGill University, away from an urban area. The new community was built at Deet River, Ontario, to provide residence and facilities for team members. The site was chosen for its proximity to the industrial manufacturing area of Ontario and Quebec, and proximity to a railhead adjacent to a large military base. Camp Petawawa. Located on the Ottawa River, it had access to abundant water. The first director of the new laboratory was John Cockroft, later replaced by Bennett Lewis. A pilot reactor known as ZEEP, the Zero Energy Experimental Pile, became the first Canadian reactor and the first to be completed outside the United States when it went critical in September of 1945. A large 10 megawatt NRX reactor, which was designed during the war, was completed and went critical in July 1947. Although DuPont's preferred designs for nuclear reactors were helium-cooled, and used graphite as a moderator, DuPont still expressed an interest in using heavy water as a backup in case graphite reactor design proved infeasible for some reason. For this purpose, it was estimated that three long tons of heavy water would be required per month. As the plant at Trail, which was then under construction, could produce half long tons per month, additional capacity was required. Groves therefore authorized DuPont to establish heavy water facilities at the Morgantown Ordnance Works near Morgantown, West Virginia, at the Wabash River Ordnance Works near Dana and Newport, Indiana, and at the Alabama Ordnance Works near Childsburg and Salingo, Alabama. Although known as Ordnance Works, 
and paid for under Ordnance Department contracts. They were built and operated by the Army Corps of Engineers. The American plants used a process different from trails. Heavy water was extracted by distillation. Taking advantage of the slightly higher boiling point of the heavy water. The key raw material for the Manhattan Project was uranium, which was used as fuel for the reactors, as feed that was transformed into plutonium, and, in its enriched form, as the atomic bomb itself. There were four known major deposits of uranium in 1940. One in Colorado, another in northern Canada, the third in Jokas Mastal in Czechoslovakia, and the fourth in the Belgian Congo. All but Jokas Mastal were in Allied hands. A November 1942 survey determined that sufficient quantities of uranium were available to satisfy the project's requirements. Nichols arranged with the State Department for export controls to be placed on uranium oxide and negotiated for the purchase of 12,000 long tons of uranium ore from the Belgian Congo that was being stored in a warehouse on Staten Island. He negotiated with Eldorado Gold Mines for the purchase of the ore from its mines in Port Hope, Ontario and its shipment in 100-ton lots. The Canadian government subsequently bought up the company's stock until it acquired controlling interest. The richest source of ore was the Shinkola Bob mine in Belgian Congo, but it was flooded and closed. Nichols unsuccessfully attempted to negotiate its reopening with Edgar Singer, the director of the company that owned the mine, Union Minerae de Hote Cantaga. The matter was taken up by the Combined Policy Committee as 30% of the Union Minar stock was controlled by British interest. The British took the lead in the negotiations. Sir John Anderson and Ambassador John Winant hammered out a, dinger, see, a deal with Singer and the Belgian government in May 1944 for the mine to be reopened and 1,720 long tons of ore to be supplied. To avoid dependence on British and Canadians for ore, Groves also arranged for the purchase of U.S. Vandium Corporation stockpile in Irovan, Colorado. Uranium mining in Colorado yielded about 800 long tons of ore. Malincroduct Incorporated in St. Louis, Missouri took the raw ore and dissolved it into nitric acid to produce urinal nitrate. Ether was then added in a liquid-liquid extraction process to separate the impurities from the urinal nitrate. 
This was then heated to form uranium trioxide, which was reduced to a highly pure uranium dioxide. By July 1942, Malin was producing a ton of highly pure oxide a day, but turning this into uranium metal initially proved more difficult for contractors Westinghouse and metal hydrids. Production was too slow and quality was unacceptably low. A special branch of metallurgical laboratory was established at Iowa State College in Ames, Iowa under Frank Spedding and investigating alternatives and its Ames process became available in 1943. Natural uranium consists of 99.3% uranium-238 and 0.7% uranium-235, but only the latter is fissile. The chemically identical uranium-235 has to be physically separated from the more plentiful isotope. Various methods were considered for uranium enrichment, most of which were carried out at Oak Ridge. The most obvious technology, the centrifuge, failed, but electromagnetic separation, gaseous diffusion, and thermal diffusion technologies were all successful and contributed to the project. In February 1943, Groves came up with the idea of using the output of some plants as the input for others. The centrifuge process was regarded as the only promising separation method back in April 1942. Jesse Beams had developed such a process at the University of Virginia during the 1930s, but had encountered technical difficulties. The process required high rotational speeds, but at certain speeds, harmonic vibrations developed that threatened to tear the machinery apart. It was therefore necessary to accelerate quickly through these speeds. In 1941, he began working with uranium hexafluoride, the only known gaseous compound of uranium, and was able to separate uranium-235. At Columbia, Yuri and Cohen investigate the process, and he produced a body of mathematical theory making it possible to design a centrifugal separation unit, which Westinghouse undertook to construct. Scaling this up to a production plant presented a formidable technical challenge. Yuri and Cohen estimated that producing a kilogram of uranium-235 per day, which is, by the way, only 2.2 pounds, would require up to 50,000 centrifuges with 1-meter rotors, or 10,000 centrifuges 
with four meter rotors, assuming that four meter rotors could be built. The process of keeping so many rotors operating continuously at high speed appeared daunting. And when Beams ran his experimental apparatus, he obtained only 60% of the predicted yield, indicating that more centrifuges would be required. Beams, Yuri, and Cohen then began work on a series of improvements which promised to increase the efficiency of the process. However, frequent fails of motors, shafts, and bearings at high speeds delayed the work on the pilot plant. In 1942, November, the centrifuge process was abandoned by the Military Policy Committee following the recommendations by Conant, Nichols, and August C. Klein of Stone and Webster. The next process for separation was electromagnetic separation. Electromagnetic isotope separation was developed by Lawrence at the University of California Radiation Laboratory. This method employed devices known as calotrons, a hybrid of the standard laboratory mass spectrometer and cyclotron. The name was derived from the word California, university, and cyclotron. The electromagnetic process, a magnetic field deflected charged particles according to mass the process was neither scientifically elegant nor industrially efficient. Compared with the gaseous diffusion plant or a nuclear reactor, an electromagnetic separation plant would consume more scarce materials, require more manpower to operate, and cost more to build. Nonetheless, the process was approved because it was based on proven technology and therefore presented less risk. Moreover, it could be built in stages and rapidly reach industrial capacity. Marshall and Nichols discovered that electromagnetic isotope separation process would require 5,000 tons of copper, which was desperately in short supply. However, silver could be substituted in 11-10 ratio. On August 3, 1942, Nichols met with Undersecretary of the Treasury Daniel W. Bell and asked for the transfer of 6,000 tons of silver bullion from the West Point Depository. Young man, Bell told him, you may think of silver in tons, but the treasury will always think of silver in troy ounces. Eventually, 14,700 tons were used. The 1,000 troy ounce silver bars 
were cast into cylindrical billets and taken to Phelps Dodge in Bayway, New Jersey, where they were extruded into strips 0.625 inches thick, 3 inches wide, and 40 feet long. These were wound into magnetic coils by Alice Chalmers in Milwaukee. After the war, all the machinery was dismantled and cleaned, and the floorboard beneath the machinery was ripped up and burned to recover minute amounts of the silver. In the end, only one 3.6 millionth of silver was lost. The last bit of silver was returned to the treasury in May of 1970. Responsibility for the design and construction of the electromagnetic separation plant, which came to be called Y-12, was assigned to Stone and Webster by the S-1 committee in June of 1942. The design called for five first-stage processing units, known as Alpha Racetracks, and two units for final processing, known as Beta racetracks. In September 1943, Groves authorized construction of four more racetracks known as Alpha 2. Construction began in February 1943. When the plant was started up for testing on schedule in October, the 14-ton vacuum tanks crept out of alignment because of the power of the magnets and had to be fastened more securely. A more serious problem arose when the magnetic coils started shorting out. In December, Groves ordered a magnet to be broken open and a handful of rust were found inside. Groves then ordered the racetracks to be torn down and the magnets to be sent back to the factory to be cleaned. A pickling plant was established on site to clean the pipes and fittings. The second Alpha One was not operational until the end of January 1944. The first Beta and the first and third Alpha Ones came online in March and the fourth Alpha One was operational in April. The four Alpha 2 racetracks were completed between July and October 1944. Tennessee Eastman was hired to manage Y-12 on the usual cost plus fixed fee basis with a fee of $22,500 per month plus $7,500 per racetrack for the first seven racetracks and 4,000 per additional racetrack. 
the Caltrons were initially operated by scientists from Berkeley to remove bugs and achieve unreasonable operating rate. They were then turned over to trained Tennessee Eastman operators who had only a high school education. Nichols compared unit production data and pointed out to Lawrence that the young hillbilly girl operators were outperforming his PhDs. They agreed to a production race and Lawrence lost. A moral boost for the Tennessee Eastman workers and supervisors. The girls were trained like soldiers not to reason why, while the scientists could not refrain from time-consuming investigations of the cause of even minor fluctuations of the dials. Y12 initially enriched their uranium-235 content to between 13 and 15 percent and shipped the first few hundred grams of this to Los Alamos in March 1944. Only one part in 5,825 of the uranium feed emerged as final product. Much of the rest was splattered over equipment in the process. Strenuous recovery efforts helped raise production to 10% of the uranium-235 feed by January 1945. In February, the Alpha racetracks began receiving slightly enriched feed from the new S50 thermal diffusion plants. The next month, it received enhanced feed from the K25 gaseous diffusion plants. By April, K25 was producing uranium sufficiently enriched to feed directly into the beta tracks. The next form of separation was gaseous diffusion. The most promising but also the most challenging method of isotope separation. Graham's law states that the rate of effusion of a gas is inversely proportional to the square root of its molecular mass. So in a box containing a semi-permeable membrane and a mixture of two gases, the lighter molecules will pass out of the container more rapidly than the heavier molecules. The gas leaving the container is somewhat enriched in the lighter molecules, while the residual gas is somewhat depleted. The idea was that such boxes could be formed into a cascade of pumps and membranes, with each successive stage containing a slightly more enriched mixture. Research into the process was carried out at Columbia University by a group that included Harold Urey, Carol P. Cohen, and John R. Dunning. In November 1942, the Military Policy Committee approved the construction of the 600-stage gaseous diffusion plant. On December 14th, M.W. Kellogg accepted an offer to construct the plant 
which was codenamed K25. A cost plus fixed fee contract was negotiated, eventually totaling $2.5 million. A separate corporate entity called Kellex was created for the project, headed by Percival C. Keith, one of Kellogg's vice presidents. The process faced formidable technical difficulties. The highly corrosive gas uranium hexafluoride would have to be used as no substitute could be found and the motors and pumps would have to be vacuum tight and enclosed in inert gas. The biggest problem was the design of the barrier which would have to be strong, porous, and resistant to corrosion by uranium hexafluoride. The best choice for this seemed to be nickel. Edward Elder and Edward Norris created a mesh barrier from electroplated nickel. A six-stage pilot plant was built at Columbia to set test the process, but the Norris-Adler prototype provided to be too brittle. A rival barrier was developed from powdered nickel by Kellex, the Bell Telephone Laboratories, and the Bakelite Corporation. In January 1944, Groves ordered the Kellex barrier into production. Kellex design for K25 called for a four-story, half-mile-long U-shaped structure containing 54 contiguous buildings. These were divided into nine sections. With, within these were cells of six stages. The cells could be operated independently or consecutively within a section. Similarly, the section could be operated separately or part of a single cascade. A survey party began construction by marking out the 500-acre site in May of 1943. Work on the main building began in October 1943, and the six-stage pilot plant was ready for operation on April 17, 1944. In 1945, Groves canceled the upper stages of the plant, directing Kellex to instead design and build a 540-stage side feed unit, which became known as K27. Kellex transferred the last unit to the operating contractor, Union Carbide and Carbon, on September 11, 1945. The total cost, including the K-27 plant completed after the war, came out to a staggering $480 million. The production plant commenced operation in February 1945, and as cascade after cascade came online, the quality of the product increased. By April 1945, K25 had attained a 1.1% enrichment and the output of the S50 thermal diffusion plant 
began being used as feed. Some product produced for the next month reached nearly 7% enrichment. In August, the last of the 2,892 stages commenced operation. K-25 and K-27 achieved their full potential in early post-war period when they eclipsed the other production plants and became the prototype for a new generation of plants. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. From the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet? Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.